Hello, you're listening to Design Talk, a podcast that shares the insights of interior design and wellness. My name is Priscilla Joseph, founder and principal designer of LPD Studio, Olive Fanatic, and I'm here to bring you on an interior design journey that inspires, shares the process, and gives you practical interior design and wellness tips that can transform your home. Today on the show, I have a very inspiring guest. Her name is Anjali, founder and principal architect at Grounded, which is an award-winning architecture and development firm. She has a bachelor's degree in architecture from the School of Planning and Architecture in New Delhi. She also holds a master in city planning from Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She has worked in the iconic city of New York for a major firm and completed her second master's in real estate development at Columbia University. Anjali has been featured on many platforms, including TEDx, Beautiful Homes, and Madame Architect. There's so much I can say about my guests. However, I'll give her the spotlight to share more of her story. So I want to welcome Anjali, and I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Priscel. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And um, I want to start by asking you to share your story, how it all began, about your education, um, your career path. Where does the name Grounded come from? And why have you taken a sustainable direction with your practice? Sure. Um, okay. So basically, I, um, you know, I just want to say up front, and I think it's very good for, um, you know, the students out there to hear it, that I was actually never super smart in school. Like I was an average student. I used to do well, but not, you know, I would never top, uh, you know, my class or anything. Um, but I always had a creative sort of bent of mind. And uh, fortunately, my parents were, um, you know, able to recognize that and they uh, sort of pushed me into exploring creative fields as a career option. Um, And again, uh, you know, fortunately, I landed in architecture and once I did, um, I really felt like I was home, like I really felt that I belonged. Um, I ended up going to the School of Planning and Architecture in New Delhi, uh, which is where I grew up. And uh, SPA, as it's called in short, is one of the, um, you know, one of the best uh, architecture schools in India. So I was very lucky to be there. It is a five-year program in India to get your bachelor's in architecture. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I really enjoyed those five years and um it was very clear with you know my interest and my performance that uh, this is what i was meant to do um after my architecture degree i actually uh, applied to the us for further studies um i think i was you know i always had this thing of uh, wanting to do more which i continue to have you know and it's not very uh, it's not very often that women um sort of accept that they're ambitious uh, i think it's sort of in the society considered a bit of a negative word you know being ambitious for women mm. but i i you know 
now that I'm 40, I recognize that, yes, I am ambitious and I want to do more. I want to expand my horizons constantly. So at that time, I, uh, you know, the U.S. seemed like uh, the place to be to go study some more um, and, you know, expose myself to bigger and wider uh, sort of concepts and ideas. Um, again, I... Um, applied to several universities, ended up going to MIT, which was my dream college. Um, I studied master's in city planning. Um, and uh, the advantage of that was that there was a, you know, there was a design component, like an urban design component, but I also got exposed to so many other aspects like, you know, housing policy, international development, environmental planning. And then MIT was really good about opening up, uh, you know, the entire university in a way to each and every student. So, um, you know, architecturally, it's very interesting because the classrooms at MIT IT are all all have glass walls and the idea is that even while you're just walking through the corridors like everyone can look into the other classrooms to see what's happening and you know there's always uh, you know you'll probably like see something happening in a completely different department but you may just pause and you know look and then there is there are always opportunities for conversations for discussions for collaborations and that really spurs a lot of creativity you know, so just uh, being able to connect dots between various fields uh, of study uh, really spurs a lot of uh, creative, new, innovative ideas. Uh, so I was very fortunate. I loved my MIT experience. I would go back there any day. Um, after that, I moved to New York. I was working for HOK, which is a global architecture firm. Um, and once again, it was a delightful experience. Um, and, but like after working there for about two to three years, I realized that, you know, we were constantly talking about sustainability as consultants. We were talking about, you know, best design practices. And a lot of times those ideas would kind of get shelved and not implemented because of constraints of financing or implementation constraints, you know. And um, I, I just, again, felt that I need to push beyond these roadblocks, right? So then I um, quickly realized that I would love to be the decision maker in the room rather than the consultant who's pitching the good ideas. Mm. Uh, that led me to go to uh, Columbia University to study master's in real estate development. Um, and uh, once again, it was a great experience. It was a one-year program. I met some wonderful people. Uh, it was a very business school-like environment, so very unlike uh, sort of the creative, uh, you know, fields of education that I'd been exposed to. So it was uh, it was a great learning experience uh, in many many ways. And uh, you know, Columbia University itself is such a great institution to be a part of. Um, post that, I worked for a real estate development for in New York City, uh, which, um, and we worked on really uh, sort of like larger, at least the group that I was uh, part of, we worked on larger scale uh, projects where we were doing um, a lot of public par uh, public private partnerships, which also drew a lot from my um, urban planning education and uh, experience. Uh, so we were, um, you know, applying for historic uh, tax credits, affordable housing tax credits. We were looking at, uh, you know, uh, revamping old post-industrial buildings into housing. 
so they were just extremely interesting, uh, you know, projects to be a part of, and I learned a lot. Um, then came 2008, 2009, when, you know, we just, uh, the whole world went through a major financial mm. crisis. And, uh, you know, larger projects uh, just sort of dried out because no one had money to fund these uh, long term projects. Right. And uh, because, you know, these projects, as it involved the government, we had a lot of community interaction. And, and you know, with that, with the community interaction, we would actually come up with the design. So they were really uh, sort of long term uh, projects. Um, but, you know, how. Uh, crisis can often be an opportunity so yes. I think that that really sort of kicked me um, to think more um, you know entrepreneur um, entrepreneurially uh, and then I uh, always uh, would uh, be looking at India sitting in the US and uh, you know always have uh, an opinion on how things were changing um, and uh, you know architecture and development was changing in India, um, the customers, their likes and dislikes were changing, the users, and also the amount of money people had, uh, you know, because India was going through this uh, massive uh, development uh, during that time. Um, so that led me to uh, explore India as a potential place where I would like to start an entrepreneurial venture. Um, I did... Um, the groundwork in around 2009 when I did a, a long road trip and visited many cities and many places trying to explore what kind of business ideas I could put into place. And then in 2010 was when I finally made my move to uh, India. We identified uh, this place called Goa um, in India as our uh, base. And um, Goa is actually a very beautiful um, beach uh, state. So it's a state, not a city. Um, and it's located um, south of Maharashtra, which is where Bombay is located. So it's like drivable distance from Bombay mm -hmm. and from Bangalore, which is another major city in India. Um, it has a long coastline and it has, uh, you know, for the longest time been a very popular tourist destination. Um, it is also a very interesting place because uh, that was one place in India that was actually a Portuguese colony, uh, while the rest of India was a British colony. So Goa, like, is a tiny place which has a very different culture than the rest of India because of the Portuguese influence. Uh, so their food is very different, you know, their uh, sort of language is uh, different, and uh, yeah, their culture is very different too. Um, so, and also, you know, the Portuguese were, um, you know, they were not as dominant on the local people as British were. So I guess that has also led to uh, a very different culture in the state. Um, Goa is, um, you know, the state with one of the highest household incomes in India and also uh, one of the highest um, education rates in India. So wow. it's a fairly well-to-do place in India, yes. Um, and, you know, as I was explaining, the you know, as the development was happening in India, more and more people had more uh, money to spend. Uh, you know, they were not only going on holidays, they were also looking at um, buying and enjoying second homes. And Goa was, uh, you know, looked like a right market to capture that segment of population. 
so we sort of identified that in 2009, 2008, 2009, and then made the move in 2010. Um, and my business model was going to be that of an architect developer, where we would uh, design uh, these, uh, you know, second homes uh, that then we would sell in the, you know, as a developer in the market. And my concept behind it was that, you know, we as architects are uh, often, architects and designers are often talking about how we have really good ideas in terms of design and sustainability, but we are unable to implement them because of, uh, you know, our clients or, you know, the developers or money shortage, you know, or the government policies not being in line with the best practices. So my thought was that here, let me show or let me first see for myself if it's possible and then show that, you know, it is possible to actually combine all of these things and make a product that is commercially viable as well. Um, so we built, we started uh, sort of building our first home in Goa in 2010 and, uh, you know, we, uh, I, for me, it was like, I just need to put in all my ideas into this and we wanted to make it very sustainable. Um, and it's a beautiful home that, uh, you know, we finished and we sold in 2013. Um, and, uh, we've won several awards for it. It's been published many wow. times. It was actually the first home in Goa to get the, um, the green certification, like oh, a green wow. home certification. Yes. And we got a gold level, which is just one below the wow. platinum level so yeah so it's a long story and then since that uh, you know there's been no turning back so we have been um, doing project success uh, you know successively and then uh, we don't do a lot like we kind of focus on one or two maximum projects at a time because uh, for me quality is very important and uh, so it's always quality over quantity uh, and uh, so I keep a small team and uh, I really focus on a lot of detail in every project uh, so we've been but we've been very lucky to find like-minded people who've become our clients and our champions over the years and uh, yeah so we're having a lot of fun we've, we're doing uh, exciting things we're trying to innovate in every project we're trying to push the boundaries of sustainability in every project um, yeah so that's uh, that's grounded and the name grounded you asked um, obviously comes from the story right so it was uh, it was but it took me a while to sort of arrive at this name i could never uh, you know, I never found a perfect name until maybe around 2013 or something, um, you know, because but then Grounded just came to me and it fits so perfectly yeah. with our ideology of, uh, you know, uh, sustainability. And, and the other thing is that our architecture is very much about, uh, you know, building with the site and building with nature. So I really, um, you know, try that our, our buildings are not uh, sort of superimpositions on the site but they are built with the site's topography with the site's landscape so they are in a way very much grounded uh to you know the site and where they belong so that's where it came from and i don't know if there was a third part to that question no i, I love that i love the name grounded because it Thank speaks you. for itself it's it's almost yeah. raw but it definitely <laughs> speaks for itself and i love that Thank you. Um, I know one thing that I've, I've realized um, in my surroundings is that when I talk about incorporating nature in the built-in environment, emerging nature in the built-in environment, 
people don't really understand what that means. Okay, are you talking about bringing in plants? Are you talking about recycling, solar panels? Like, what does that, what does that mean? And so when I, when I came across your firm, and I, I've shared this with you before, and how you strategically picked out the word reconnect architecture mm-hmm. to nature. And I found that so powerful. And um, I'd love for you to kind of explain what that means and why is that so important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I feel, Priscel, that we as human beings, right, we have to have an innate connection to nature. Like that is how it was meant to be. But I think in this post-industrial world, we have sort of moved beyond that. You know, we have created so many man-made objects and also like man-made societal norms that, you know, we've become these big consumers and we've moved away from that connection to nature. I am, you know, been really, uh, gotten really interested in studying um, well-being as related to Ayurveda. Um, And Ayurveda is this ancient science of medicine um, from India. And, uh, you know, Ayurveda is all about, like, basically when it talks about, uh, you know, how to eat, how to uh, practice your daily routine, uh, all of it is, uh, has this huge connection to nature, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, like, cultures all over the world actually have... Um, their festivals and their important uh, sort of, you know, days, they're all connected to, uh, you know, how seasons change or the sun cycle or the moon cycle, you know, and we in today's society are losing that connection. And I feel that that is probably one of the reasons why, uh, you know, there is increased sort of stress levels amongst people There are increased, uh, you know, there is sort of increased unhappiness, uh, more mental illness, you know, there are all these things. And I feel that if we were in sync with nature, then uh, a lot of our issues with well-being are automatically, uh, you know, at least aligned and, you know, not if not resolved, but at least they're not completely out of whack. So uh, when it comes to architecture, I think it's, it's a similar thing because architecture, you know, and especially when it comes to homes, because you spend so much time at home, yes. you uh, come home because you are you know you feel safe and secure this is where you want to relax you want to calm down you raise your family right the home is such an important aspect in someone's lives that uh, architecture of a home is directly related to your well-being it's directly related to your wellness and therefore if the home is connected to nature then again you know you're basically getting a bigger bang for your buck in a way, right? Yeah. So what I mean by that is um, obviously, you know, openings like windows in, I mean, I'm just talking about very, archi- like I'm like sure. going into the nitty-gritties of architecture now, right? Yes. But the, the easiest way to connect to nature are through your uh, openings in a house. So your doors and windows, right? So how do you, op- when you open that up or when you look out, how do you connect to nature, right? So, and, and you know, talking about new construction, this is more uh, obvious in new construction because uh, in new construction, you have the opportunity to actually, actually create new openings and, uh, you know, enhance your connection uh, from indoor to outdoor. Um, Openings are also very expensive to build, just, you know, as as a developer, I I know that now. Uh, And uh, therefore, uh, 
I think as cost becomes a constraint in development, the openings will become smaller and smaller, right? And fewer and fewer. So um, that is an issue, uh, but that is one way in which you can connect. Uh, we used to live in Manhattan, like our first apartment in Manhattan was a tiny studio, right? And uh, I mean, now I feel that uh, I can't imagine if we were in lockdown in that studio. So, um, right? So. I feel that this lockdown and the whole COVID crisis will possibly also make people realize how much they yearn for that connection with nature. So I think the argument that, yes, you have to connect to nature will not be that difficult because people really have missed that. And the other thing that people have missed uh, is is contact with community, right? So I feel like this whole... Um, you know, the whole trend of individualism where everyone is living alone in their own tiny apartments will possibly change where people will uh, seek more community. Mm. So even if you have a tiny apartment, you know, it's about maybe having a community garden downstairs. It's, uh, you know, having uh, maybe even like a rooftop, like roofs can become huge, uh, you know, or present huge opportunities for creating open space uh, within like dense urban environments. Right. And uh, so do sort of windowsills and balconies if you can uh, afford to have balconies. Um, then you can al always bring nature indoors through uh, plants. Right. And so there are several easy to grow plants uh, that, uh, you know, can thrive in partial uh, light. And uh, plants also, there are so many species, but pretty much all the plants actually also filter air for you. So again, in dense urban environments, that is another positive that the plants bring for you um, inside your home, that they just automatically clean your air so you don't have to use air filters, you know, and, and other mechanical devices. Uh, if you um, use plants correctly, they can also uh, create a certain microclimate for you. So uh, they can shade your openings and therefore, uh, you know, provide uh, insulation in a, in a hot weather, as well as insulation, you know, um, from like direct winds. So, um, you know, plants have so many uses. It's not just, you know, one. And then the best part and the most exciting part is if you can actually uh, grow, uh, you know, some edibles in your home. Yes. So if you have, even if you have a window which brings you a lot of light, you can actually end up growing things in your home. And, you know, you can start with simple things like herbs. You can start with microgreens. All these things are packed with nutrients. You're growing them in your, you know, on your window ledge. So you know what is going into it, right? So you know that you can keep it free from sort of harmful chemicals and, you know, all, all sorts of, uh, you know, fertilizers and things that uh, mm -hmm. farmers are producing in these, you know, mass uh, large farms. So that is uh, very exciting. I mean, it's very exciting to, to grow things and then just go like snip a few microgreens and, you know, just sprinkle on your food. It just, again, not just nutrition, not just, you know, uh, sort of uh, your food, but it, it improves your mood, right? It makes yeah. your a simple dish pleasurable and these things add so much to your life it's not just your you know your job your income how you look on paper it's these little things that actually um contribute to your well-being it's very very true it's um it's interesting i i absolutely love plants <laughs> i think a yes. little bit too much um but i have this spot in my living room where 
I'm facing all the plants in my living room. And honestly, it is the best spot where I can sit because regardless of how my day went, I can sit there and stare right. at my plants and realize there's a psychological aspect to see nature. And that's so powerful. So Absolutely. Priscilla, it's cheap, right? Like yes. introducing plants into your home as uh, a design element is so much cheaper than like, you know, doing a wall covering or mm -hmm. like, you know, doing like a, whatever, an expensive veneer or, uh, you know, buying expensive art. Like yes. plants are, are cheap and so many plants also can just grow from cuttings, right? So you yes. can actually just get cuttings from friends or from like, you know, parks or something, and then just grow them in your house. You don't even have to necessarily even buy the plants. No, definitely. Definitely. And one thing I love that you've mentioned, just different aspect on, on what people can do. Um, you've mentioned plants, you mentioned the windows and the balconies and edibles. Um, but if someone's listening right now, and mm -hmm. they wanted, they're, they're listening and they're saying, you know, Anjali, I, I get what you mean. And I want to make changes in my home right now. What can I do? What are three things I can do today that can, that, that can change um, the way I'm, I'm currently living? What would you recommend? Okay, so... Mm, there's so many and we've already talked about introducing plants uh, into your home so you know we will leave that one out but see I think one big thing um, and I really do relate my um, architecture to uh, well-being right because uh, I feel that my homes uh, offer that to the homeowners um, so I feel that the, a big thing is decluttering and uh, sort of questioning this, uh, you know, this habit that we have today in the modern society of consumerism. So basically, uh, my first tip is to buy less. And uh, so what I mean is buy less furniture, buy less things in your home uh, so that it's clean, it's tidy. Also, it, uh, you know, create layouts in a way that your home is flexible so that you can change things around in your home as your family grows as you know your mood changes uh, so that changing things around is not so expensive so maybe you you know if you're in a tiny apartment you don't want to buy a big heavy uh, you know, couch that will just occupy that space and then it's too heavy to move and, you know, it just keeps getting worn out and, you know, it that, it, like, just imagine that or just picture that worn out big brown couch in a living room, right? What does it do to your well-being? It just drives you down every time you walk into your apartment, right? So, so the tip is buy less, uh, try to create a flexible layout which you can change or, you know, so you can change things around. Um, and if you, when you're buying, try to uh, maybe buy things which have a higher component of natural materials, um, because not only do they have a soothing impact on your uh, mood, uh, but they also have a higher degree of uh, recyclability. Uh, so when you do end up, uh, you know, um, 
getting rid of some of the things in your house, then they don't end up in the landfills. They can actually be recycled. And even if they do end up in the landfills, if it's a natural material, then, uh, you know, it is biodegradable. Mm -hmm. So it's not creating plastic waste um, in, um, you know, on our planet. Uh, So that's tip number one. Tip number two is I would really say that everyone who's listening and everyone out there can compost. So I would say try composting at home. It is very, very easy. I have been doing it for a long time and I started with a simple DIY, you know, plastic container in my home. Um, It is, uh, you know, you create like Um, food waste every day so it will be a place to uh, throw that and then the compost that you get in the end is used in your plants so it's really like an end-to-end beautiful solution you know to so uh, to to your lifestyle and I think nowadays also uh, so many companies have these off-the-shelf composting you know bins which you can just buy and uh, compost in your very home so that is something else that I would say people can really do and number three which which is something that I constantly, constantly talk about and I feel very strongly about is that we must say no to single-use plastic. Um, As Mm. consumers, that is something we just cannot continue to do we all know what the um, you know what the impact yes. of uh, of single-use plastic is right it's like it's now ending up in our food we have all seen photographs of that beautiful little um you know seahorse with his tail wound around the earbud we've seen that you know images of turtles with like plastic stuck around their necks you know so we just have to stop right so i really don't understand why anyone today would continue to buy uh plastic water bottles uh you know there you can it's just so easy to carry a a reusable water bottle with you at all times Uh, especially in developed countries like we can drink you know we are fortunate and lucky enough to be able to drink tap water so really there is no reason for us to buy plastic bottles then the same goes with plastic um, you know bags which are non-recyclable and uh, you know they are single use because all these things start leaching toxins like that Mm -hmm. should just be enough to tell us that you know they're not meant for uh, human use Uh, so plastic bags is another one and now there are so many alternatives to uh, you know even a toothbrush uh, straws Uh, you have uh, you know multiple multiple options like when it comes to disposable um, you know plates and cutlery there we have options so now option there are several options out there and I just really really um, hope and uh, wish that you know more people would just make the conscious choice of going green when it comes to uh, buying um, you know new things thank you thank you so much for those tips because at the end of the day not only we're impacting our environment we're impacting ourselves right we're impacting our health on on every level and it's it's our planet it's it's (laughs) it's our home so yeah definitely thank you so much for those tips and the another question I have for you, Anjali. So if someone's listening and they're saying, all right, I'm going to apply these tips. However, I'm going to hire a professional <laughs> um, right. to help me redesign my space. Um, what would you, um, how would you explain uh, your process? So what should someone expect from working with an architect who has a sustainable focus? Sure. Um, 
working with a professional is always a good idea. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So basically I think, you know, it's very interesting, but, um, uh, design and architecture, right? Like uh, the relationship between a client and a designer or an architect is, uh, is almost like, you know, a marriage, right? Because it requires work from both parties. So I would say that the very first thing, so I've learned this after, you know, t 10 years of experience working for, my, you know, myself in my practice grounded with uh, clients who had very high expectations, because usually we're building these, uh, you know, large homes for, for people. And these are their dream homes, right? So like that one dream home that everyone wants to build in their whole life, like those are the homes that mm -hmm. I'm building for them. So they have, they come with very high expectations. So the very first thing that I have learned is that it's very important that the architect and the uh, client are on the same page from day one. So um, an architect throughout the process can educate the client about new options, new possibilities and, you know, new uh, ideas, but they cannot change the client's overall view. Okay. So I, all now I actually, before I even do, um, you know, any proposals for anyone, I get on a call with uh, potential clients or, you know, I meet them uh, face to face because we need to get along. It's almost like, you know, mm -hmm. the first sort of date where you know, you know whether you're on the same page or not, yes. right? And you know whether you click or not. Uh, because it's going to be the, especially when it comes to residential architecture, the process is very personal. You get to know so much about your clients' lives, right? Because you need to design a home that works for uh, all their life situations and how they live, right? So I would know, you know, you would know if uh, the client has an illness because you mm -hmm. need to address that, right? Even if it's not public information, you would know that. You would know if, you know, for example, I mean, you would know if the, you know, if the husband and wife like necessarily don't get along. Like you would know so mm -hmm. many personal things about your client. So it's very important that you, it's, you know, you become their confidant and uh, you're, they're able to share that with you so you can design the perfect solution for their life. So that is very important. And then uh, for um, an architect who comes with a sustainable focus, as I said, the same way the client needs to come with a sustainable focus. So uh, to make uh, any home, any design sustainable, it just requires a little bit of more work. Nowadays, I think that when it comes to material choices, when it comes to uh, you know uh, fittings and fixtures, uh, availability of sustainable products is, is very important. Um, is, is out there. So it's not like you have to really reinvent the wheel. You just have to choose the right products yes. when it comes to making decisions. So it's not that difficult. It's also not going to be more expensive, but both the client and the architect have to be clear that that's their focus. So whenever any decision is made about the design of the house or about procuring any material or uh, undergoing, you know, uh, any process, uh, you know, during construction, the, 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 the idea is to make the sustainable choice rather than, you know, the wasteful uh, choice where you're sort of buying things which are, uh, you know, non-recyclable or, uh, you know, which cannot be reused um, and are, are therefore not the best for the environment. So uh, that's, I think that is what it would um, entail. And then if 
partnership is great. If the two parties have a similar focus, then, you know, the product will automatically uh, be something that they can be proud of. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Anjali. Honestly, I, I, even, I even learned a lot today from our conversation. And I really, really appreciate you being here. Um, I want to give you the spotlight. So please let us know if there are any current pro projects that you are working on that you want to highlight and where can people find you online? Sure. Well, um, we're not that difficult to find. So I think if you Google my name, Anjali Mangalgiri um, and Grounded, uh, we should show up on your Google search. <laughs> Our website is uh, www.buildgrounded.com. And you can also uh, find us on Instagram with my name, Anjali Mangalgiri. Um, so project-wise, and actually, Priscel, the part that I didn't get to in my intro is that I... Um, my husband moved from New York. I went, I moved to India to uh, start my project uh, and grounded in India in 2010. My husband actually got a great opportunity in Singapore in 2012. So he moved uh, to Singapore and, you know, we were able, we are able to make uh, the India Singapore mm. um, match work because we're fairly close to each other and there are multiple flights and, you know, it's very well connected. Um, so we do. And then in the last 10 years, I've also had uh, given birth to two daughters. Um, and so now, you know, um, in 10 years, that's been uh, sort of my uh, journey. And uh, the next decade, I also turned 40 this year. So nice. I, I kind of feel like, okay, now the next decade uh, is about, uh, you know, expanding my horizons a little bit more. So we are actively, uh, we would actively like to expand um, our services uh, within Singapore. Yeah. And um, uh, work on projects here and collaborate with interesting uh, people here. Um, I also feel that maybe we'll start looking into developing some design products. Um, I do have a lot of ideas when it comes to lighting. Um, and also I'm uh, very much interested in uh, pottery. So I have uh, this project in my mind about uh, making handmade tiles. Mm. Um, and then finally also, uh, you know, we've been doing homes for the last 10 years and we've become very good at it. Uh, so maybe we want to expand uh, to doing bigger projects in terms of maybe uh, resorts, which sort of come very uh, seamlessly fall into um, what I've been doing until now. Um, and, uh, you know, and then maybe even other bigger, um, uh, more uh, projects with a more public uh, interface. Uh, so yeah, so I'm looking forward uh, to the next decade. 2020 has been a bit of a bummer for everyone, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that uh, hopefully it will leave us with uh, some really important lessons, and uh, you know, hopefully the the way we live will um, you know take a more positive uh, sort of spin after this. Um, but there is also uh, you know there is also a chance that people will become more exclusionary uh but you know I, i'm just an optimist and i hope that uh, you know it will <laughs> it will be more positive uh, an impact um, after this crisis is over for sure and i love you i love the fact that you mentioned um product creating different products i mean designers like myself we always look for innovative 
ways and innovative products to to add into projects. So that sounds like a future collaboration. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> so awesome! Yes. I'm just saying, like you know, I think we creative people we have so many ideas. I just feel like we just don't have enough time. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> ideas is not a problem. Yes, no, that's so true. <laughs> I think we need more. I mean, time. You're doing so much, Priscilla. I'm so, I'm so nice. uh, like I look at you and I feel like wow, this girl is a powerhouse. Thank you I'm so, so much. Uh, proud of you. And if I haven't said it enough, I want to thank you so much, Anjali, for being on the show. It has been very exciting and it was an absolute honor to have you here. So once again, thank you so much. And I hope that we all take away from what we've learned today. And we reached the end. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five star, give us a thumbs up, give us some love. And until next time, 